Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Um, I'm reading from a different version tonight. Just, it was just to help me formulate my thoughts. Um, sometimes grammar of different translations trips me up. So know that it's, it's not a congregational thing. It's not something I'm imposing on you. It's for me personally, right? So uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. That's not a trip on vegans, by the way. The one who eats, uh, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Right? This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we are thankful for you. We are thankful for your, for your word. Um, God, I pray that uh, you would guide us, Holy Spirit, Lord, that, that no wisdom shared tonight would be anything that is outside your word, Lord, um, that what is expressed, what is learned, what is taught, God, what is received would purely um, be from your Holy Spirit, God. So what is said of me? May that be forgotten tonight. And what is uh, retained from your word, may that be engraved on our hearts, Lord. May we be able to understand it and apply it to our lives for your glory and your glory alone. Um, May we not be so prideful to think that we can't learn something, even if it is a simple passage, Lord. Um, I I, I pray that we would be able to receive it with open arms, God. Um, The meat and potatoes of your word, essentially. May it make us full, Lord. Um, We're excited to hear from you. I'm excited to hear from you, Lord, to do great things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in order to understand Romans 13, as Mark and I have been expressing, and and Justin and Chris, as we have been teaching uh, through the book of Romans, we want to always emphasize, as I emphasized greatly last week, that Romans was not written chapter by chapter. It's just one long letter. Right? So everything blends in together. So I don't want you to think that it's just separate subjects every single chapter. Um, it ebbs and flows with one another. It, it blends together. Right? And so in order to understand Romans 14, you do need to understand 13 and 12 and 11. Right? It all blends together. Right? And so I encourage you guys, and when you go home, to really actually, if, if you haven't been following along with us, to read Romans for yourself, right? to uh, soak that up yourself and, and, and get the greater narrative of Scripture. Um, but in order also to understand Romans 14, we need to understand the context within the Church of Rome. You see, the context within the Church of Rome was that uh, the, the believers in Rome were filled with mostly Jews and some Gentiles, right? There was a very, very big Jewish presence in Rome at the time. And, and this was at the time where Peter was actually going to Rome and preaching there. And the bulk of his ministry was going on there. And a huge uh, percentage of, um, of, of Peter's ministry was just starting to spread all throughout Rome. Persecution was growing, but at this time, um, the church was really thriving, and it was mostly Hebrews. It was mostly God's chosen people, the Jews. But Rome, culturally, outside of the Jewish faith, was very liberal, right? It It was a very liberal place, and I don't mean liberal in the sense that we know liberal. I mean, it was religiously liberal, meaning that, uh, there's gods everywhere, right? There's all different sorts of gods and pagan uh, rituals and practices. Uh, so, so they were, it, it was very, whatever your religion is, your religion is. As long as you pay homage to Caesar, um, you're fine, right? And so it was a very uh, culturally and religiously liberal place. But within it, guys, there was a lot of Jews who their only way of maintaining their cultural identity was to hold on to the Jewish practices, Right, so the only way they were really able to maintain uh, their, any any sense of hey, I, I I am who I am. Rome's not taking my identity from me. Uh, the only way to really retain that was to well, I have my eating rituals that I have, my Jewish eating rituals. I have my my Hebrew holidays that I observe. You know, certain days of the month, certain days of the year um, that I do certain Hebrew practices, and 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 that was. Uh, practices that Christians still brought into the church, right? So, so we have to understand that the second Jews became Christians doesn't mean they just dumped all of their tradition, 
out the window, right? They still maintained their eating habits. They still maintained their religious holidays. They still maintained the certain feasts and the parties that um, they would throw. So they maintained their culture as Jews, but they were born again Jews, okay? They were born again. But on the other hand, there was also these Gentiles, right? And these Gentiles brought a lot of background from pagan traditions. And even in the pagan rituals and traditions, there was a lot of dietary restrictions as well, right? So we have all of these different religions, uh, Jews and pagan religions coming in and, and being a church together, right? So, so you know, in, in America, we kind of, you know, we are diverse, you know, we're technically a melting pot, but I would say in Thousand Oaks, it's not totally true, right? Um, we all have similar backgrounds, right? As far as religiously, you know, uh, America has been a, a, a Christian nation for so long that many of you are at least familiar with Christian tradition, right? Um, not a lot of people in here are bringing like traditions from Nigeria, right, into the God speak Calvary Chapel, right? You don't, you don't find that a lot, okay? Um, but but we, we must understand that there was many Gentiles and Jews who had their own little habits, right? A lot of the Jews would refrain from eating any, any meat, right? Um, that was actually also a pagan tradition. So, so it wasn't just the Jews. It was also a lot of the pagan religions would refrain from eating any type of meat that wasn't particularly blessed or was unclean, right? So there was a lot of different eating habits. There was also a lot of different days that people would observe, right? Um, the Jews also, uh, they wanted to maintain the Sabbath on Saturday, right? When a lot of Christians at this time were saying, well, the Sabbath now we would like that to be on a Sunday, right? Or uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath, so it doesn't need to technically be a day, right? And so there's all this controversy blowing up, right? And all these people are trying to exist in one church in harmony, right? And you can imagine that it's not like huge arguments are rising, but a lot of passive aggressiveness is probably rising. You know what I mean, right? A lot of like backhanded comments about, oh, yeah, don't eat meat, I understand, right? All, all those things, Right? But guys, the beauty of the gospel is, is that it can exist in every single culture, right? That, that is the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that it can exist cross-culturally. Be wary of fusing your specific cultural beliefs with the gospel, though. We must be very wary of that. Be very wary of saying, well, this is what my family has always done, and then declare that to be truth as if it was scripture, Okay, we must be very wary of that understanding. Okay, we've all come from kind of different familial and cultural backgrounds, and we need to make sure that we don't uh, elevate our culture above the gospel, right? And, and, and what the gospel is declared to be true and what scripture has declared to be true about us, right? Because every family has their certain traditions, right? You know, it, it, but it would be, and every culture has their traditions, right? You don't, is Thanksgiving a good holiday, right? Is it a good holiday? Yes, it's, it's an amazing holiday. Is Thanksgiving in the Bible? No. So it would be absurd for us as maybe a Christian missionary to go into, you know, uh, whatever country, you know, Indonesia, and say, well, um, we're Christians, so we celebrate Thanksgiving. Right? That would be absurd, wouldn't it? Right? However, if there are some Americans who observe Thanksgiving, and they move to Indonesia, right, and they're a part of an Indonesian church, and Americans celebrate Thanksgiving, would the Indonesians need to impose, you can't, you can't celebrate Thanksgiving here. This is Indonesia, right? Would you, that would seem absurd, right? It would seem absurd in both ways. Maybe that's a bad example, but we'll, we'll go through some more later. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says this, guys, and, and this, might, this might help our sentiments a little bit. He says this, unfortunately, we have similar problems today with many gray areas of life that are not clearly right or wrong to every believer. Some activities we know are wrong because the Bible clearly condemns them. Other activities we know are right because the Bible clearly commands them. But when it comes to areas that are not clearly defined in scripture, we ourselves are needing some sort of guidance. Right? Meaning that there are gray areas in scripture, guys. There are a lot of gray areas. Okay? There's things that we know are clearly wrong and things we know that are clearly bad. But there are some gray areas that we exist in. Okay? Um, one of the main examples that we're going to use tonight, guys, and I'm sorry if this makes you uncomfortable, but it is very relevant to our society, is one of the biggest areas of controversy is alcohol in the Christian community. 
right? That's one, of, that's one of the biggest areas of controversy is, can Christians drink? Should Christians drink? When should Christians drink? How much should Christians drink, right? And then, so, you know, so that, that's, a whole, that's a whole thing that it's like, you know, does it say that Christians cannot drink in the Bible? No, it doesn't. Does it say that it's dangerous and there needs to be some restrictions? Absolutely. But there's a gray area there, right? There's a gray area. And so we're going to be discussing on how to deal with that. And so we're going to go back to verses 1, where he says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, right? So people who thought that they needed to eat in a very specific way, right, were obviously the ones who were the weaker believers. That's how Paul describes them, right? That's not how I'm describing them. That's how Paul describes them. Paul says that the ones who think that they need to adhere to some sort of dietary restrictions because God says so are the weaker brothers because they haven't experienced yet um, the, the liberty and grace that Christ has given them, right? They, they think somehow still that some actions that they take— right, will make them right before God, right? Of, uh, and, and, and remember, this is a cultural, this is a Jewish cultural thing, right? This isn't just, this isn't for health reasons, right? This is, this is a cultural religious practice, right, that these people are, are doing. They're obviously, they are the weaker brothers and sisters because they think still it equates somehow to their righteousness, right? When the gospel is clearly taught us, right? That our righteousness is from Christ in Christ alone, right? So, so people who thought that they, there was only one specific way to eat were obviously the weaker believers because they had trouble understanding that God is not going to smite you because you're eating chicken, right? That God isn't going to strike you down for eating a steak, okay? They were having trouble understanding that still because they were easing their way into understanding the liberty that they have. However, However, guys, there was a greater problem happening or an equal problem happening where the believers who understood their liberty were making fun of the weaker brothers. So the people who understood that God wasn't going to smite them for what they ate were making fun of the people who thought they needed dietary restrictions, right? And this is what I would equate to how, how the modern church reacts to legalism, For those of you that don't know what legalism is, it's where people believe that by setting up rules for themselves, that they would somehow be more righteous before God or that it makes them better than somebody else, right? That is legalism. Now there is reverse legalism in the church. There's reverse legalism. There is a type of legalism where we seem, we that understand our liberties in Christ, right, seem to make fun of legalists, right? We, we, we hold them with contempt. We're making fun of the weaker brothers instead of understanding that they come from a different place than we do. And that's counter-legalism, guys. You know, people who put themselves under strict rules and regulations are obviously people who haven't really realized the manifold grace of God. But instead of loving them, a lot of believers mock them in their rules. Right? And this is a big problem, Right? We somehow think that we're better than legalists, so, so we will make fun of them, right? Or we'll point out, you know, silly flaws in their theology. It says the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, right? So, 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 the, one, so the one who's able to... The one who's able to kind of rise above, you know, ceremony, right, and religious practice and say, well, it's just about the gospel is not to tell the weaker brother who still needs to cling on to some sort of ceremony, right? To find some sort of identity. We're not to make fun of those people, right? We're not to hold them with contempt. But then it also says, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, right? So it also says that the one who does need those practices and who does want to retain some sort of tradition, right? is not supposed to cast judgment on the people that decide to enjoy their liberty, Right? And still, the best example I have, guys, is the people who decide that they have the liberty to have a beer or two, right, are not to make fun of the people who still think it's wrong to drink. 
right? And the people who decide not to drink are not to cast judgment on those that who are able to enjoy the liberty that God has given them, right? And, and so there's that dichotomy there. There's that coexistence there that needs to take place where we don't regard people with contempt and we don't judge people, right? Because if you're not judging someone, you might be holding someone at contempt. And if you're not holding someone at contempt, you might be judging them, right? Paul is telling them here to settle down and quit, quit being petty over stupid things such as eating and drinking, right? Christ has accepted them and has made himself Lord over both of them, right? God has accepted both of them and has made them Lord. We will go into more depth in that later, but go to verse five. I want everyone to go to verse five for me. We're going to go deeper now. He says, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does, does so for the Lord. And he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the, Lord do, uh, and for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So guys, the question is, can I do this or can I do this? Can, do I have liberty in this? Or do I have liberty in this? The question is not, well, are they allowed to do that? Or am I allowed to do that? The question is, what about this is glorifying to the Lord? Right? That's the question that we need to be asking ourselves. Not, am I allowed to do this? Or is he or she allowed to do this? It is, is God being magnified? Is God being pursued in whatever situation this is? Right? Is God being pursued? Right? And, and when, when we look at it in that light... Our liberties, right, start to change a little bit, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something, guys. Like, I, I think my vegan brothers and sisters are, like, right on. I'm just, I'm just going to say that. Like, I think they're epic, okay? I have mad respect for my vegan brothers and sisters. I'm personally not a good enough planner, to be a vegan, right? I don't have the self-discipline required, right, to be a vegan. Uh, But most of them do it because they understand their body to be a temple and they understand cruelty to animals that big corporations inflict, right? So so that's their conviction. Like my my brothers and sisters that are vegan, their their conviction is, well, my body's a temple. I'm going to take care of it and I'm not going to eat processed meats. And then I also understand that, that big corporations tend to have a real bad philosophy with God's creation, Right. And so they decide morally. Right. As to the Lord to not to do that. Now. Now, I, I, I have one of two. I, I have two options here. As a meat eater, I can try and justify my lifestyle by making fun of them. Or I can say, do you know what? Good for you. Like you're doing it for the Lord for sure. Right. And then I have another buddy, guys. I, I, I have another friend who he has a flip phone and he refuses to get any tablets, laptops, smartphones, anything, right? He refuses, right? He's just, he's gone dark. He has a flip phone that has texts and calls only, right? And like, he is very, very strict about that. He's very passionate about him just having his flip phone. He doesn't have a laptop, right? There's no Wi-Fi in his house. He has a desktop so he could check emails. That's it, right? Like that, that is all he does. No Netflix, right? No Hulu. Some of you are like, how could, oh, this man live in a field, right? No, he lives here in Thousand Oaks, but, but he, he refuses, you know, he refuses to, to have all this media in his house. Now, now listen, he does it, he does it, guys, to keep his mind from being inundated with data 24-7, right? And, and that's how he's described it to me. He's like, do you know what? I just, my mind is just way too weak to, be, to have that stuff in my house. It's weak, right? And so he sees it not as well, everyone should have a flip phone. We need to get rid of all technology, burn it all, right? Death to the Silicon Valley now, right? Like he's not, he's not bringing, you know, he's not trying to bring us back into the 18th century, right? He's, he just knows that as a weaker brother, that he can't have that in his house. Now, now the sin would occur if he would try to impose that on me when I am able to have the liberty of certain things, right? I'm able to withstand a few things. And, and, and so do we, do we kind of see 
where because some people are weaker that they, they need to understand these things, right? That they need to hold on to these things. Or because of certain convictions that they have, not even because they're a weaker brother and sister, but because of certain convictions that people may have, they may choose to impose regulations on themselves that Christ maybe hasn't in Scripture. That's, that's how some people handle the gray area, right? That's how some people are handling the gray area. They're, conv- they're fully convinced in their own mind that they are doing it for the Lord. And that's great. We need not go any further than that. We need not extend further in that in our discipleship with people, in our interactions with people. If they need to have some sort of regulation that is not sinful and that is not toxic to their minds, then we allow them to have that out of endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace in order to endeavor with a weaker brother. For not one of us lives for himself. It says in verse 7, so go to verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Guys, the point is, the point is, by what, by what Christ has done for us on the cross, by, by Christ bearing all of our sin and all of our shame, what, what he has done in that when he, when he bore our sin on the cross is that he has covered us. Yeah, grace and mercy has covered us. Now, as it says earlier in Romans, as it says in Ephesians and in Galatians, right? That we should not use our liberty as license to sin, right? We should not say, well, Christ has covered me, so party on, right? That's, that's, not something we ought to, that's not something we ought to embrace because, as I said before, the question is not whether we're allowed to do something, right? Paul said so himself, like, it, it, all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable, Right? Just because you have a liberty to do something because Christ has covered you does not mean you use your liberty as an excuse for vice and for sin and debauchery and disobedience. The point is, there is grace and mercy covering the vegan and the carnivore. Right? There's no, the, the guy with two phones, right? And a tablet and a laptop, right? The guy with like the belt where he's got his work phone and then his house phone right? and then his family phone right here. And there's, he has a pager still for some reason, right? You know, that guy, and then he's got his tablet and he's got his, you know, laptop and he's got everything in his car, his Bluetooth, right? That guy, he is covered as equally as the guy who's decided to stay dark, right? So grace has covered both of them, right? And, and, and Christ is guiding both of them. There must be this fundamental understanding, and I may sound like a really like liberal you know, pastor right now, and I'm sorry, but this is just what the text says, right? There must be this fundamental understanding among all believers that we do not have everything figured out. There has to be this level of humility that we approach each other with, or else we're not going to be able to exist together. There must be this fundamental understanding among believers that we don't have everything all figured out. We are all shrouded with our own perceptions of truth. And we, have, we all deal with gray areas in different ways depending on how we grew up, where we live, what our jobs are. We have these different ways of handling gray areas. Now, I'm not talking about what is explicitly wrong in Scripture, okay? Okay? I'm, I'm, the, Bi- the Bible and what God declares to be sinful and true of Scripture, right, is so clear and so true. But in the gray areas I'm talking about, we deal with those based on our own backgrounds and cultures and, 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 and the ways we think. And it is counterintuitive and counterproductive to judge one another based on how we deal with those gray areas. 
And, then, and Paul says the same thing. And he goes on in verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. He's saying, you legalist, why are you judging your brother? You, stronger believer, why do you, why do you have so much contempt for the legalist? There's sins in both camps, right? For people that are hyper-spiritual and for people that are somewhere in the moderate in the middle, right? He's saying, why are you at odds with one another and arguing instead of helping one another, right? And I'm talking more, guys, I'm talking more about imposing your liberty on someone and attempts to educate them on what they're missing, right? On, on liberties uh, and attempts to educate them on how they're missing. And, and that's loving with hypocrisy. It's loving with hypocrisy to say you are less of a Christian because you need this, some, this, this certain rule in your life, right? Or you're less enlightened because you need to observe this specific day or this specific tradition, right? It, it, it's hypocrisy to say so because we all have certain cultural ticks in us, right? Because you're claiming that a liberty for you is a liberty for all, and that's just not true. You're claiming that, that something you enjoy freedom in is something everyone should enjoy freedom in. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you news. I need a lot of like rules imposed on me, not because Christ defines me based on whether I follow them or not, but simply because I need some of those, right? I need some of them, right? Because I'm a loose cannon, right? And some of you who are much more disciplined than I am, right, can enjoy certain liberties and you don't need certain rules imposed upon you, right? And so I will claim to be the weaker brother in this situation, right? I will claim to be the weaker brother in many situations where I cannot handle certain things that you guys can. I cannot handle certain movies. I cannot handle certain TV shows, right? Not because I believe you're a debased sinner if you watch those, but because I'm weaker. I'm weaker, does that, is this making sense to you, right? On how we ought to interact with one another, right? If you're talking to me about a TV show, right? And I just say, man, man I, I just can't watch that. Like, I just, I just, my mind and I can't. And if you were to approach me and say, come on, man. It's not like it's a sin, right? Just grow up, right? Well, you, you know, you know what? That, that hurts the unity between you and I, Right? Or someone is dealing with an addiction from their past, right? And they're on the process of, of healing, right? It would be absurd for me to say, dude, grow up, right? Some people, guys, some people can't drink and shouldn't, right? But I'm, I'm so sick of Christians imposing their liberties with such a touchy subject as alcohol, Right? I, I'm, 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 I, I can't handle it anymore, right? Or it's like some people can't handle certain things, guys. And just because just it's a liberty that you can enjoy doesn't mean it's a liberty for everybody to enjoy, right? And, and this is different for, I, I'm not going to read your minds, and I, 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 can't, and I can't look and speak into every single one of your lives, but there's certain liberties that we enjoy that we think everyone should enjoy, and that's just not true, right? Some people, some people are, are, are slower, right? Some people are working their way there, okay? And some people should never do certain things. How about this? Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll once again use an example, and I'm sorry that it, it just has to pertain to alcohol all the time, but that's, you know, I'm, <laughs> like, I, I, I minister to mostly college students, right? And, and, and this is just, this is the big thing. I'm sorry, right? Um, insert whatever liberty you know, just insert it where you please, right? Um, where some people, right, can enjoy a beer without having terrible memories of their past flooding into their mind, right? That's awesome for them. But don't be so insensitive to call someone legalistic for not drinking, right? Some people really shouldn't. 
And then some people, right, some people think that they need to observe the Sabbath because they're workaholics, right? Some people think they need, they must enjoy, they, they need to take Sunday. It is the Sabbath. They're workaholic. They need to take that day or else they will implode on their, themselves. Some of you think that, well, well, do you know what? The Sabbath is something, I, I take a Sabbath like at the end of work on this certain day, right? We don't need to impose that on other people. And I can tell there's tension right now. Right? Let's take a deep breath. <sighs> right? Let's take a deep breath. I, I, I can feel it. I can feel it in the room can feel it my point is my point is and this is this is just this is what the passage says my point is don't argue over stuff and don't make people feel bad over things paul says this and it's a very profound verse he says this in verse 15 and we'll go to verse 15 for if because of food your brother is hurt you are no longer walking according to love Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. What petty things are you destroying your brother with? Are there any silly arguments that you're holding on to and are are, are hurting your brother and sister? I'm going to get away from alcohol now. I'm just going to go to Calvinism and Arminianism, something just as controversial, right? How many people are you hurting with your theology, right? How many people are you isolating because you hold particular biblical beliefs that are still debated today? Are you isolating a brother and sister and are are you inhibiting yourself from having good, solid fellowship because you have a difference in certain ecclesiology or eschatology, right? Are, 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 you know, some of you come from Baptist backgrounds. Some of you come from Calvary Chapel backgrounds. We all come from these different backgrounds. And what I've noticed a lot, especially when I go to like pastors conferences and stuff alike, where I, I, I notice that there's people that will exclude purely because they interpret one portion of scripture different than someone else. Now, one person may be right and one person may be wrong. We won't know until we meet the Lord and he tells us everything. But in the meantime, it declares in Ephesians chapter 2 to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Meaning endeavor, endeavor. In verse 19, it says, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Meaning, meaning guys, that your liberty is not necessarily defined on what Christ has made available for you to do. Your liberty is defined on, okay, is my lifestyle going to be ministering to the people around me? We ought not to look at the freedom that Christ has given us and say, okay, what's the list of things I can get away with, right? What's the list of things I can get away with now? No, 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 no. It is a matter of, I will not take liberty in something that stumbles my brother or sister, right? Meaning that if I go over to someone's house and they have specific eating habits, I'm going to adhere to their eating habits, right? If I go to somebody else's church and they have a different style of worship or they have a different style of teaching and preaching, right? As long as they're holding to the fundamental truths of what Christ has done for them, right? I'm going to participate. That's why Paul would later on go to say, I have become all things for all men so that I might win the many, right? I'm going to sacrifice these certain things I know I'm allowed to do, but I'm not gonna, Because there's a greater mission at stake here. There's a greater vision than am I allowed to do this or am I allowed to do this? There's a greater vision. There's a grander mission than, all right, here's the list of things I'm allowed to do. Here's what I can get away with. Really let these verses sink in. Are we forsaking unity with people for the sake of having our own pet liberty, right? Are we forsaking unity for the sake of being right, right? Being theologically correct, being philosophically correct. Are we forsaking unity with people? 
Are we isolating weaker brothers and sisters in the Lord because we want to sound more enlightened or we want to sound more uh, culturally accepting or politically correct? Are we isolating people? Realize something. and I need, I need us to understand this. Realize what Christ paid for in order for you to have unity with one another. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, if you all go to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 sheds a lot of light onto this. He says this, For he himself is our peace, he being Christ Jesus, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two in one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The point is, the point is this, that Christ, when he died on the cross, when, when, he, when he took all of our sin, our baggage, and our shame, what he did was two things. First, he took away the separation that we had from God. We who were once alienated, who were far off from God, when he took away the sin that separates us from him, uh, we, we were now connected with our almighty creator. We are now united with our creator as we once were in the Garden of Eden. We are now walking with him. We are walking by the spirit. We have the spirit of Christ in us. We are are now able to enter in to the throne room of grace with boldness and confidence as, as it declares in Hebrews chapter 10 and 12. We now have boldness to enter into the presence of God. We have unity with him. So he has breaking down the middle wall of separation that we have from God. Secondly, he has now breaking down the wall of separation between people groups. He is breaking down the middle wall of separation that separates anybody from me. it, It is a phenomenal thing. It is a phenomenal thing to go to another country and meet different believers and realize that people that don't speak the same language as you, people that don't have the same background as you, people who have no idea what you're talking about, you can be more united with them than a coworker you have been with for 10 years. Because Christ has redeemed both of you. And there's this brotherhood or sisterhood that that occurs in that. That we are now all part of the household of God. You see, what Christ did on the cross was not only break down the separation between God and man, but man and man. So he has broken down any wall of separation that keeps you from the brother sitting next to you that you tend to argue with all the time on Facebook. He has broken down the wall of separation. He has created avenues for common ground. That Christ is our cornerstone. Meaning as we both build our lives, no matter how different I am from an individual next to me, if we are both in Christ, as Christ is our cornerstone, we are both building for the same household. We're both a part of the same body. He may be an arm, I may be a leg, but we're both in the same body. There's a unity that now occurs. And so what, what Paul, I think, is, is trying to do here, 
in Romans chapter 14 and say that there's some petty things that are gray areas that don't stop, just stop arguing over it and allow Christ to be Lord over it. Allow Christ to be the cornerstone. And even if your brother is wrong, right? As you endeavor and build the house together, he's going to have to get right, right? So if you're endeavoring together, if you're doing life together, right? If you're building a family, a God's family together, right? And you're discipling together, what's going to happen is that in the ways that you are wrong, you're going to be corrected. In the ways that he or she is wrong, you're going to be corrected. But it's all as we enter into the cause of Christ, It's all within that context. It's never within the context of, well, I just need him to realize how right I am. I need her to understand that my opinion is the right one, right? That that pettiness should not exist in the kingdom of God because it's all for the name of Christ. And as long as we are all trying to elevate the name of Christ, I think we're going to meet somewhere in the middle. And I know this is hard. I know this is hard because there's things that have seriously hurt us. There's things in our past that have have seriously hurt us or we have seen dangerous in our families and wherever, whatever context we come from. And, and, And we seek to correct it by setting up rules for ourselves. And, and, and so sometimes it's hard to say, well, Zach, like, this is wrong. It might be. But it's better to be corrected within the context of fellowship and unity than debate and arguing. Isn't it better to grow together than to argue with one another and one person ends up on top and one person on the bottom? Isn't it better to come alongside each other and as doing, you're doing life together to slowly correct, rebuke, improve one another through fellowship, discipleship, and being the same body, being the same church, being the same household of faith. That's how God has designed for us to mature as believers. He has created the church as, as, as a way of sanctifying us and making us pure and undefiled bride to our Lord. It's a process of sanctification, but it happens within the context of fellowship, not the context of us and them, right? Us and them. And I'll close here. I'll close here, guys. My last note is that some of us have a hard time just knowing what what liberty is and and how do you know if something is a liberty or not? How do you know whether you have the freedom to do this or the freedom to do that, right? When when scripture doesn't explicitly say it, how do I know? Because there's a lot of things, right, that scripture doesn't explicitly say, right? Scripture can't guide you through your finances completely. Does it talk about finances and being a good steward of your money? Absolutely. But does, it, but does it give you step-by-step process on how to deal with your taxes and, and retirement? No. Does the Bible talk about how to have a flourishing and healthy and beautiful marriage? Absolutely. Does it talk about dating? No. So there are gray areas, right? And, and how do we deal with them? We deal with them in the context of fellowship. We deal with them in the context of developing and helping one another. And in verse 22... It gives us this safety net, knowing that we all have the Holy Spirit that it talks about in Ephesians 2. In verse 22, it says this. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever it is not from faith is sin. So if there's something, guys, in your life where you do it, and you're like, before you do it, you're like, should I? Can I? You know? Uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, sure. Right? That's, no, stop. 
That's the Holy Spirit guiding you. The Holy Spirit, that's what he says. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Meaning if you're going to abstain from something, do it as a conviction before God, right? Do it as I want to be a healthy and well-rounded individual before my Lord, right? So if you're going to restrict yourself from something, have it as a conviction, right? And if you're going to take liberty in something, just, just, just know you need to be able with a clear conscience to say, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm doing this and, and my lifestyle is still glorifying and magnifying the Lord. But if, if you're endeavoring to do something, whether you're in a dating relationship, whether it's in whatever context of friend groups that you have, and you have to say, I don't know, I'm not sure. I don't know if God wants, you know, it doesn't really say this or that in the Bible. I'm not, don't do it. Don't. Because if you go at it with doubt, it's condemning you already. That's the Holy Spirit telling you, I know you more than you know you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, but that Christian, he seems really solid and he does it. Yeah, I'm talking to you though. Don't do it. And you know what? There's so many, there's so many moments in that for me, Right? There's so many moments of that where I see Christian brothers and sisters enjoying some sort of liberty, right? And whatever it is in your heads, I'm not talking about anything specific, right? Whatever you guys are imagining, you know, that's usually the Holy Spirit talking to you. But for me, like there's certain things where I see my brothers and sisters doing it and and I'm like, ah, you know, should I be watching? Should I be doing, you know, should I be? If, If that's happening and occurring in my heart, it's the Holy Spirit already telling me, stop. Forget about them. You stop, right? Peter, and I'll close here. Sorry, I'll close. This is my final, my final words, right? The apostle Peter, when you know, he, was, he was interacting with Jesus and Jesus, and, and Jesus was teaching you know, Peter about how he was gonna suffer, Right? And, and how, how Peter was going to be condemned, how he was going to suffer, and how he was going to suffer all of these things. And then Peter looks back to John. And he says, Lord, what about him? He says, Lord, what about John back there, right? What is, what is he going to do? What is he allowed to do? What is his future? What is his? And, and Jesus says, stop. Don't worry about him. I'm talking to you right now. And this is how we are able to love our brothers and sisters without hypocrisy if we first take Jesus' advice where he says, before you endeavor to help the speck in your brother's eye, deal with the plank in your own. And that's not to say you can't help with your brother's speck, right? He never says that, right? He never says, listen, never correct people, right? He never says, listen, never rebuke, never correct, never endeavor in any way in that shape or form, right? He just says, make sure you're dealing with the big issue you have first. That way you can have a clearer conscience and a clearer vision when ministering to the people around you, right? Before casting judgment, before even helping, Make sure you are being introspective in your relationship with Christ and saying, is the liberty I'm taking glorifying to the Lord? Is my lifestyle glorifying to Jesus? Are these things I'm partaking in, are they, uh, are they progressive for the, for, the, for the kingdom of God? Are they pushing his will forward? Or is my own spiritual walk being inhibited just, just in the name of freedom? Paul said so himself, I have, I have total liberty to ask you guys for money. He says this. He says this to the Corinthian church. He said, it is totally my right as a pastor and as the established and founder of your church to ask you for monetary compensation. That is my right to ask you. But he says, I am going to withhold my liberty and make tents so that you won't be stumbled. We have, we have this we have this thing as Americans sometimes thinking that just because we have the right means we could do it or we should do it. But there's a greater cause. There's a, there's a greater mission. There are brothers and sisters who are stumbling through their walk and who are trying to make it right now. So you might have to consider 
for the sake of the people that you love around you, saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. Even though I totally have the right to, I'm going to refrain because I have a greater cause than my own satisfaction. Amen? In doing so, we mimic the cause of Christ where he said, not my will, but your will be done. And forsook his comfortability uh, as king and hung on the cross. Right? And so I'm going to pray and we're going to take communion. And, and we're going to remember, guys, that it, as it declares in Philippians, that you know, Christ said that uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't consider equality with God anything to be grasped. But instead he humbled himself even to the point of the cross. Though Godhood was his, he forsook it for the sake of our for the sake of our freedom from sin. And so let us, as we worship our Savior, consider things that we might sacrifice and forsake, also that our brothers and sisters next to us might flourish and thrive in their walk with Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we uh we adore you and we recognize, God, that um that you are king and you are Lord over our lives. Lord, I, I understand, Lord, that this is not the most uh, comfortable of passages to go through, Lord. And it's, it doesn't necessarily sit well because there's so much different opinions and there's so many different interpretations of Scripture and there's so many different things that are swirling in our heads right now. But God, may one thing be clear is that you mimicked, you mimicked the way we ought to act on the cross, Lord where you humbled yourself and you forsook any freedom that you have in order to gain, Lord, uh, your, the people whom you adored. And so, Lord, may, may we humble ourselves tonight. May we associate with the lowly. May we be able, God, to meet the weaker brother and sisters where they're at. May we be able to endeavor with them in a way that is loving, not condemning and not judging, Lord. May we be able to look at each other through the lens of Christ, Lord, and what you have done for us. And so, Father, I, I just, I, I pray that you administer to our hearts tonight. And once again, anything that was said of me, Lord, just be forgotten, Lord. But whatever your Holy Spirit has declared to be true tonight, God, I pray, God, wholeheartedly, that that would be taken in as gospel truth. Minister to our hearts as we worship you tonight, Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.